Greetings, Philip Bateman here with the Smarter Impact Show, produced by Bravo Charlie. And this episode is supported by Pro Bono Australia, the leading not-for-profit and charity news source in Australia. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Sally McCutcheon, who has a number of feathers in her hat. Currently the CEO of Impact Investing Australia, who managed the $300 million investment ready growth grant, focused on developing businesses that deliver positive social and environmental impact alongside profitability. Now, you've just signed an MOU to bring the Make My Money campaign to Australia, which we'll go into later. Yep. And there's a few more few more things in there. Uh, Sally also acts as advisor to the Australian Social Impact Investing Task Force to the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, is the chair of the Finance and Risk and Audit Committee for Oxfam Australia, non-executive director of the Indigenous Business Australia Asset Management Group, part of the Global Steering Group on Impact Investing, just joined the board, is it, of Y? Yeah, I'm also on the board of YGAP, yeah. And behind the scenes puts in hundreds of kilometres on a walking machine. <laughs> Potentially might be into singing. Is that in there? Uh, yeah, but that's... The, yeah, we yeah, don't talk yeah, about that. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Okay. Um, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> it is a lot and it really keeps me really busy, um, but it's really great work. I think I'm happy to be involved in all the things I do. Mm. Um, I have real passions about... Um, things like international development, which is why I've got involved with Oxfam and, and YGAP. And I'm also involved actually with the Emerging Markets Impact Investment Fund. That's mm. another um, angle. And I also am very passionate about Indigenous issues, hence the Indigenous Business Australia role. And more broadly, I guess, as an organisation, um, Impact Investing Australia and, and me personally is really um, committed to seeing investment dollars actually generate better outcomes for people. Mm. And, uh, and hence the impact investing angle around all that. Mm. And a lot of people, I believe, who might not be in the investing space or might not be really in the community support space, there's kind of this really huge wall between what we see in the press around how business is treating society and what society is putting up with and then what politicians are not doing for society. I feel you'd have a dramatically different lens on that. I think what, what we see is that business... Um, clearly has a role to play in in society but not just from from the perspective of you know making money and making profit um, and not just about the economic angle of, of society but much more about thinking about what is their broader role as corporate citizens um, and you know our our kind of thinking is that we see a lot of um, of damage control being done by the social services sector and also by government itself in terms of some of the fallout from the activities that people do to make money. Mm. And I think what we're really interested in seeing is that there's behavioural change so that some of that responsibility for those actions are actually taken by business themselves and we we don't have the negative externalities of those actions being picked up by other people. So that's that's sort of my, my view on it. And then the impact investing angle of that is that if we have more investment dollars going towards, you know, thinking about the social and environmental impact of, of the money, then that can also actually change the way um, investment outcomes and also social outcomes are linked. And what's your experience in this space? Like how long have you been around the impact investing space? So I've been around impact investing itself for about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, I started uh, with a meeting, really started with a meeting with Rosemary Addis um, literally five and a half years ago and, and I was brought on board at Impact Investing Australia to try and get a impact investment wholesaler into the market, mm-hmm. what that means. Um, 
People might be familiar with Big Society Capital, which is a great example of, of what that does. But the idea of an impact investment wholesaler is to establish things that people uh, help to establish products and investment or investment products that people can put their money into that have both a social environment in- impact and a financial return. Hmm. And is that a fair definition of impact investing? Things you put money into that work across the board? For- yeah, and it's really important that they have a, a financial return alongside a social or environmental impact. That's exactly what impact investing is. So it's very broad in, in what it does. Um, you know, people would look at something like the Clean Energy Finance Corp and say that's an impact investment vehicle, mm. even though they don't necessarily um, self-identify as that because it's it's generating a financial return, but it's also addressing, you know, environmental aspects. Yeah. And for people in there, for people out there in the finance world who do want to make a difference with their money, where's a good place to start if they're... Because the sector's essentially booming now. I think nobody's advertising they're doing investments. They're all now going, well, let's make a name for ourselves and go do this. Though I think it does seem to be, from the people I speak to, it seems to be driven from an ethical basis rather than a, we got to get on board the train. Look, I think, you know, all this stuff is about meeting people where they are. Mm. So there's a really fantastic framework called the Impact Management Project that looks at impact investing across three dimensions or at three levels, let's call it, or actually four levels. One is um, those investments that actually do harm which we don't want, then you have those investments that actually just avoid harm. So they're things like investments that screen out alcohol and tobacco or um, weapons of mass destruction or even fossil fuels. And then there's the second category, which is those things that actually benefit stakeholders. So they're those investments that are actually looking um, to have a positive uh contribution. So um, the invest the investors are actually picking investments on the basis that they have a positive contribution. Like, for example, you might say, well, we'll make an investment in a hospital um, or something like that. And then the third category is um, what we call contributing to solutions. So that's a much deeper kind of impact investment. And it's things like social affordable housing. So an investment in that really um, heavy impact kind of area. And I think for some people, all they will choose to do is avoid harm. But, you know, that, that's actually a good thing because there's a lot of money um, and if it's, if it's all avoiding harm, then we're going to have a better outcome for society. And other people will go just that step further and look for things that actually benefit other people and then, you know, more deeply into that really heavy impact stuff as well. Hmm. And what sort of time horizons do you think in or work in? I know when I was at, at the start of SOCAP Virtual like the last Monday, talking about um, centuries thinking and having, you know, when somebody comes to put money into something or they say we want to put money into something, what are you talking to them about from a change horizon perspective? Yeah, that's a really, really difficult question. I think um, my my lens is often around, because I come from a funds management background and I, as hard as I try, it's in my DNA. So I often think about these things from a uh, funds management perspective and that relates to different investment types have different time horizons. So Mm. often for those investments that you want to make that really deep impact, um, they're often in the areas of private equity or infrastructure, and they can be much longer, um, what people would describe as less liquid. Mm. So it's harder to get your money out of those investments. So you have to take a much longer term view. Whereas some of the the avoid harmed kind of investments, which are in public equity markets, um, they are very liquid investments. So, you know, even if you were you know, taking a view of 
or we're just going to invest for a relatively short period of time, you could still make a difference with an investment like that. Mm. Is there a threshold at which people have enough money in investments where they go, I don't need to make such an exceptional return anymore because my life is, I'm pretty secure, you know, I've got... I own enough money, I've got a house, I've got a car, <laughs> let's use my money for, you know, I'll get 2% instead of 11%. And I think in an ideal world that would be true and mm. then people would be saying, you know, I've got enough, I don't need any more. But I think the thing about investment is there's a psyche um, that says that people want to generate a financial return and they want to often generate a good financial return. Mm. When you get into philanthropy, you know, people are more prepared to just give money away. It's, it's kind of ironic because, you know, on the one hand, people are saying, I want a great return over here. On the other hand, they're just giving money away over there. Mm. And what we would sort of say is, well, if you kind of blended your money and said, well, maybe we just take a concessional return mm. on, you know, some of our investments, we could actually achieve as good, if not better, an outcome. Because essentially it's like Kiva giving. If you're a philanthropist, you could get your money back by impact investing exactly. with a small return. Yeah, exactly. And you could, you could um, basically circulate um, and reinvest the, the money. I think the key here is that everybody, as I, as I said before, is at different stages. Mm. And I would never you know, say to someone, you have to do this or you have to do that. I think it's all yeah. about personal choice and, and where they're up to. So identifying where they are in the impact investing framework yeah. and then diving in, yeah, essentially. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And what are you excited about at the moment? Well, 25 kilometres. Um. <laughs> <laughs> We're standing outside in the park talking to each other. That's, that's amazing. Right. It's, I, um, think, um, I think that's what, um, particularly for Victor well, Melbournians and Victorians, mm. which we obviously both are, I think um, we're really excited when, when the limit went from 5 kilometres to 25. In a broader context, I'm excited about the potential for change. If we can see, you know, the weight of money just go into that avoid harm category, Mm. that's a good thing and we will you know start to see real systemic change from that in an ideal scenario i'd like to see much more money going into that deeper impact category mm. but um you know that's harder to get people to really commit to uh but yeah i do think that we will hope in you know in my lifetime that we will see change mm. and avoid harm very simply like pulling money out of fossil fuels and weapons yeah, and yeah. socially destructive things like yeah, that exactly yeah exactly conversation at the moment has always been for the last six months of COVID. Um, how have your plans changed and how have you seen the industry change with the impact of COVID? I think I'd have to say that we've probably got busier because um, if you think about what's gone on with COVID, it just raises the level of awareness that we do need to see social change and we do need to rethink capitalism. And I think, um, as you mentioned in the beginning, you know, I'm very involved with the Global Steering Group for Impact Investing, which for the people that don't know, that's a network of 33 countries globally that is trying to build the market for impact investing um, in their own countries and, and across the world. Mm. And we... Um, we are very committed to see, I guess, three key things change. We've, we've asked people to sign up to a leadership declaration that speaks to this, but essentially we would like to see more impact investment directed toward, and this is all related to COVID, more impact um, investment directed toward employment, equality and the environment. And that will really be driven um, by encouraging more investment through social enterprises and small business, mm. which can be real generators of economic activity and, and social change. Then the other um, two areas are around impact transparency. So just trying to get people to report more around the impact that their companies are making. Impact weighted accounts, is that? Yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's an element. Yeah, that. yeah. So that's it's an element. time. It's like, excuse me. Yeah, no, that's an element of that. Um, and then the third, um, the third area relates to regulation. 
So right now, for example, in Australia, we have a sole purpose test that um, means that, you know, finance has to be put first for superannuation funds. And I think, you know, we do agree that, you know, finance and financial returns are very important, but we also think that there should be an element of, um, uh, of social and environmental consideration that is allowed alongside the financial returns consideration. And, um, and right now that's not particularly clear in the legislation. And so it's legislated the sole purpose test is what all superannuation funds are held up against. Yes. And if you make choices in opposition to the benefit of the sole purpose, you can be prosecuted, I'm guessing. Yes. That's not going to get very far then, is it? No, well the, well, the issue is that people have to, first and foremost, they have to put finance. Mm. And then I guess the second aspect of that is they can consider environmental and social um, aspects, but they can't really put them ahead of, or they can't put them ahead of finance. Yeah. And I think there's just not not a lot of clarity around the legislation in that respect that you're allowed to, you know, consider things of equal financial return and then the social and environmental impact. Hmm. I'm really interested at the moment in all my friends and colleagues and peers that are in the impact space and the environmental movements in the let's protest in the streets because something needs to change yeah. movements. Um, I remember walking through the street when Melbourne was flooded with a protest and then walked upstairs to a boardroom and it was pretty much business as usual inside. There wasn't any consideration of like the people out on the street rallying. Do you think, what are they talking about? Maybe we should change our thoughts. Um, as a call for people to get involved in federal politics to lay down the placard and take up the tools of the system. Yeah. What would you say to those people? Do you think it's time? There's a bigger movement towards this? There's a bigger way to be involved? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's go and join your favourite political party. Um, mm. Maybe maybe it is that. I, I do think um, that, that there's a lot of um, change that can be made at the political level. Mm. So, you know, how you choose to, to do that um, and how involved you get with that I guess is a personal decision, but I actually think going back to the Make My Money Matter mm. um, campaign that we're looking to do, people can influence as individuals in different ways. They can, you know, we all know this, you can influence with your choices around consumption, mm. you know, whether you buy a certain product, you know, who you buy your, your power from. You can also influence in the way that you invest your superannuation money mm. because you can say, we're going to choose this superannuation fund because they actually do consider. Um, some of the social and environmental factors alongside the financial return mm. um, and they're prepared to do that. And there's there's plenty of um, superannuation products out there that actually do some of that at least avoiding harm and I would really encourage people to be thinking about what they are doing with their super and where it's managed and, you know, is it managed in, in a place that aligns with your values. Mm. And the Make My Money Matter campaign, I believe, an oncologist, uh, Peter Mack, found out, um, she was asked by a superannuation advisor, do you want to have your superannuation in tobacco? And Bronwyn she King. went, what yeah, are you Bronwyn. talking about? Yeah. Why would my money be in tobacco? Yeah, so um, that was Bronwyn King. And yeah. she's done a lot of lobbying with the with the superannuation funds yeah. around that. That's exactly right. And their assets under management now that they moved out of those sort of categories is tremendous, isn't it? Yeah, it's it? huge. Yeah. And in most of the big industry funds do not invest in tobacco. So that's a, yeah. it's a huge thing that she did. But, you know, we could go harder and further on, on some of that. Yeah. And sure. so that was done in the UK and now Impact Investing Australia has an MOU to manage yeah, that. Yeah, to, to do um, the Make My Money Matter piece. And we're just working through the plan. Like it's in very early stages because we've literally just signed the MOU. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just thinking about um, who the right partners are and the fundraising and all the rest yeah. of that. Yeah, wonderful. Um, what is the GSG? 
What is the GSG? And what did you get out of the recent summit and what's next? Um, so I think I've sort of explained a bit what the GSG is. So it really started um, back in 2013 when David Cameron had presidency of the G7 or the G8 then. Um, and G7 members um, joined a, a task force that was called the Global um, Social Impact Investing Task Force, which was chaired by Sir Ronald Cohen that, you know, some people may, may be aware of him. Uh, and he um, he was the chair of that. Australia was asked to join um, as a part of that initial uh, task force, and that and the person that joined was Rosemary Addis, who again people may may well be aware of her. Um, she then came back to Australia as part of the the remit and the membership. Um, you had to set up an institution in your own country, and Impact Investing Australia was set up at that time, along with the what was called the Australian Advisory Board. On impact investing and that has now been merged all together under the impact investing australia brand so we are one of 33 countries around the world that um, is a part of this global network and we are as much as a membership we um, we are really a community of practice so we're sharing ideas about what people are doing in different countries from outcomes funds to um, social impact bonds which people might be aware of to um, more recently uh, green and social bonds, which are not social impact bonds, mm. which are those large fixed income instruments that uh, that go towards social issues and often issued by governments and large multi multilateral organisations. So that is the GSG, the GSG mm. Summit. Um, that was amazing. That About 1,300, I know that you actually attended that as well, yeah. but um, about 1,300 people actually attended the virtual summit that was held in September. I think there were representatives from something like 73 countries around the world, um, $16 trillion of assets under management um, represented, and we talked about um, a number of different things, including outcomes funds, uh, pensions for purpose, which goes to the make my money matter aspect. We talked about asset managers or fund managers and how they make impact. We talked about um, informal settlements, um, the reporting and accounting, which goes to that impact transparency I was also talking about and the different ways of measuring impact. It was huge. We had uh, people like David Cameron there that was talking about the role of government in all this. Um, and I think that, you know, the takeaways for me was there, there were so many people, there was so much um, enthusiasm and there was so much desire for a need for change mm. and, the, you know, the way that we actually see capitalism in the way that we see capitalism. And I think... Um, it was really, really inspirational. Yeah. Your thoughts? <laughs> I, was, I was amazed. Uh, it's the first time I'd really seen not only people excited about change who were passionate to do it, who were working in positions where they could create change, that people with tremendous amounts of wealth were sitting next to them going, yeah, yeah tell me, how do we do this? It was, you know, the practitioners opening their arms to people who had legacy endowments of family fortunes from hundreds of years back saying yeah we want to do this let's go yeah. Let, let's do it yeah. um and politicians sitting alongside as peers of these people rather than as like yeah what i traditionally see in australia which is kind of like an offhanded kind of like you guys be over there and we'll be over here and we'll just run this in our little city it was quite a fascinating thing yeah so it was it was a great it was a great summit and i would encourage everyone to go next time yeah totally yeah. That's, the other, yeah. that's the other thing about remote you know yeah, we just yeah. press the button and we were there hey um, yeah. yeah, it's a fantastic thing. Now, you've said a lot of what you're excited about. What are the big problems you're struggling with that you haven't quite figured out yet? <sighs> what's, what's keeping you up at night? Um, 
I think one of the uh, so it, that's a really interesting question. Many things keep me up at night. I think one of the things to the point about COVID, one of the things that really keeps me up at night is um, the longer term impact on people's mental health. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I have without you know talking about my personal life too much, I have a daughter that's currently doing BCE. And I look at some of those kids that have had this experience through their VCE year and the mental health, you know, challenges that have gone with that for many, many kids. Mm. And I just I just wonder what, you know, what the longer term fallout of that's actually gonna be. So mm. that worry those things worry me, that, that mental health issue. And I agree with you that I think we'll get economic recovery, but I'm not sure that we're actually gonna get um, mm. you know, some of that cohesion you know, and, and that and that social cover in the same way. So, and I say the cohesion because I do think that pockets of society have been much more disadvantaged quite clearly through this mm. COVID um, issue, like youth, like women, like Indigenous Australians. Mm. Um, and I worry about, you know, again, what the longer term fallout of that is going to be. So they're the things that, you know, really worry me. In terms of the very, you know, tactical um, things that I'd, I, I, you know, process all the time, mm. is things like how do we get some of these things into the Australian market to actually help to generate that social change that we need? And for me, it revolves around, you know, impact investing. And there are some pieces of fundamental market infrastructure, like the wholesaler that I, that I talked about where mm. I began, which I think can really make a positive change. And I would love to see government step up to that and actually um, put, put funding and capital into seeing some of these things um, come into the Australian market. Mm. Yeah, it feels like a fantastic way to get votes. Listen to the people, <laughs> go stand in front of them and be like, we're going to fix this, we're going to lead, we're going to do it. That's right. And uh, and then do it. And, and it's lead, worked. And it. I mean, if I think about the UK, they've just come out, um, you know, Big Society Capital has just come out with a recent report that says that there's now £5 billion of, you know, impact investing and social investing in the UK, which is having a huge impact on people's lives. Mm. You know, I want that for Australia. Yeah. And just to touch on impact-weighted accounts, because I'm fascinated, fascinated by, it, by them. <laughs> um, that essentially when people, when companies give out their annual report, not only do they include the amount of money they made and the amount of gross profit and the amount of merchandise and things that have gone through their systems, uh, there's an externality accounted for, which is the impact they've had on the world. So if you make one billion plastic bottles then the impact for the rest of society of cleaning that up and managing that in the waste streams, the government, the people, um, that actually gets a dollar figure put on it. And that to me is amazing because you it can now amazing. see this company made a billion dollars, great, but they created $3 billion worth of external damage. So it's that externalization of cost exactly. being accounted for. And now that we can tie that to companies, I cannot wait to see that legislated and being well, required that's, that's what we need yeah we need that we exactly we need the government to actually look at that um look at mechanisms like that to mm. actually drive transparency and and get and bring a greater understanding of of what what the negative as i was talking about before the negative externalities of some of the companies are in making profits it's interesting because the impact weighted accounts have three key areas one is the environment mm. one is um employment so how are they treating their staff and and the other is product, which goes to things like supply chain and human rights and the supply chain mm. and, and those kind of things. And I think looking through those three different areas, I mean, it will be interesting to see how come you know many companies fare yeah. in terms of the negative damage that they're creating. But there, there's mm. been some really interesting results just on the environmental aspect to yeah. date. Yeah. 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 Um, 
this include I'm currently working on projects in the circular economy and diversity on um, gender for getting women into uh, into the trades um, and a whole number of other things and it's been such a pleasure to talk to you yeah. here because um, it's all related yeah it's all it, you know completely the, the um if you had a I mean God we came out of the fires and we went straight into COVID in Australia <laughs> yeah um, it almost seems a bit like my call to action to everybody out there would be. Breathe out, have a rest. <laughs> um, but there's always more to be done. So, and there's always more to be done. Yeah. Uh, do you have a call to action out there for anybody? You know, if there's one thing you want people in the world to know about impact investing, um, what would you tell them? I would say it, it goes back to the super. Um, you know, think about what you can do as an individual. Think about your super. And no one, you know, I think everyone can take tiny steps. Um, if you, as I said in the, you know, earlier, if you're just thinking about how do I just avoid harm, mm. you know, just thinking about that will actually have a positive impact on the world. And I would just encourage people to think more about how their money is invested, um, to think more about doing uh, things to avoid harm. And, you know, and as you go forward, you can do, you know, more and more to actually create better environmental and social outcomes with your money. Mm. So that would be my call to action. Thank you for listening. I do really appreciate you being out there. It means a lot to me if you could subscribe to this podcast, share, leave a comment, get the message out to people that this is going on. I really get a lot out of interviewing people and bringing insightful conversations and information and education to you, as I believe through good conversations and asking better questions, we can genuinely get together and create a better world. Thanks very much for listening. My name's Philip Bateman, and this has been the Smarter Impact Show, produced by Bravo Charlie.